Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Through the movies in this week's roundup. Daniel Day-Lewis makes clothes and brings his career to one in Paul Thomas Anderson's phantom thread, Respect the Woodcock. It'll shock, seduce and sometimes have you in stitches and surely has award seasons sewn up. Then it's off to Flanders Mud for Journey's End, classic eulogy to the boys in the trenches, and Makala. If you see only one doc about a man selling charcoal in Congo this season, make it this one. All that, plus funny face. Audrey Hepburn, Fred Astaire, listeners' comments. It's all coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Right, top billing in this week's cast list goes very much to Beth Webb. Hello, Beth. Hi. Hello. Hi, James. And David Jenkins. Second build. Well, kind of a solid under, supporting under actor. The marquee. He's under the, le- the marquee. The Leslie Manville of the, the what podcast. I'm, what I'm suggesting is that you basically are on the left of the poster with your name on the right. And Beth, I see. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm not a selling point. No, no, no. That's what they oh, do no. on posters. When you have, for example, the Hitman's Bodyguard or the Bodyguard's Hitman, whichever way yeah. around that film was, you have two massive stars, Ryan Reynolds and um, Samuel L. Jackson, which one do you put first? Which one goes on the left of the thing? And what they do is they put one guy gets his name on the left and the other fella gets Uh, his picture, his fizzog on the left, and that way everyone's happy. I did not know that. I actually just thought it was mistakes. (laughs) Yeah, because it's it's funny how often that, you know, the the names don't in any way tally with the, the faces. It's almost like a little game. You know, connect the. I'll move on. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com is our email address. Truthandmovies at tcolondon.com is our email address. At LW Lies is the place to find us on Twitter, or you can just go Little White Lies on Facebook. And of course, on the Little White Lies website, there is a comment section Podcast Corner. Podcast Corner. Is it a corner or a little kind of nook, maybe? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of a virtual space, yes. but I think. In our attempts to kind of humanise the increasingly digital world we live in, yes, people call it a corner. Okay. Anyway, Jamie Patterson, hello to you. Re-Oscar snubs. Uh, Jamie's disappointed by lack of love for the Florida Project. While Willem Dafoe deservedly was nominated for his role as Bobby, the sweetest man in the world, surely the Florida Project was worth nominations for Best Film Cinematography for Alexis Zabe. And what about that performance from a seven-year-old Brooklyn prince? What do you think, Beth? Oh, I was devastated she wasn't making it an awards season. I absolutely love Brooklyn Friends. Little powerhouse. All right. Have you, has she been in other things? No, Florida Project's into me. That's all she needs. Okay. 
following her on Twitter is a joy as well. She follows me on Twitter and it made my year. Wow, what provoked that? (laughs) Just uh, my one-woman campaign to get her to the Oscar nominations list, I think. And she caught on and thought, well, this is a girl worth following, I think. Yeah. But um, you're completely right. Her Twitter account is a complete delight. What sort of things does she she say? she, She sort of takes stock images from red carpet events and faux amateurishly pastes herself into them as well, but in a very kind of cheesy, funny way. It might be genuinely amateurish. She's, what, seven years old? Oh, no, there's <laughs> definitely a tongue in a cheek there. Give, right. give the it's, girl it's, a break. It's, 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 it's <laughs> I don't think they're bad because of her age, but they're sort of silly bad okay. rather than bad bad. By the way, Brooklyn, I'm at AC Jimbo if you want yeah. to join my bandwagon. <laughs> Jerome Huben says you should definitely check out Citizen Ruth, which Adam was uh, talking about last week. As an early Alexander Payne, I think it was perhaps his first film, no? Yeah, it's the film he did before uh, Election. Right. It's not as great as Election or Sideways, says Jerome, but it's certainly a very enjoyable film, highly original and very Payne-esque. A self-assured debut can recognise his signature in this, although not yet fully formed. Good. And Mark P.S., which must be a weird way to sign off, you know, things, because people are always being <laughs> yeah. well, the last bit got chopped off. Yeah. Yours sincerely, Mark P.S. And then... Anyway, he says, special thank you to Hannah for putting me onto Letterbox, says Mark. I spent hours logging movies I've seen, a fantastic way to indulge in nerdiness. Uh, are you on Letterboxd? I'm not, but I'm making it my 2018 mission, I think, because, uh, again, Hannah really put forward a compelling argument, and Michael, that, that? Uh, that it's a great place to go for movie recommendations. Uh-huh. I mean, I take a lot of it from Twitter, and I'm fortunate, maybe unfortunate, to have a lot of critics as friends, but huh. um, so I get a lot from them. But uh, this seems like a really great and, and varied and broad way to, to get recommendations. Right, on the basis that you can follow other people's playlists, and if you like something they like... Yeah. Does Little White Lies have a, a presence on Little Box? Yeah, we do, we do. We have an account. I, I have one as well. But my main use for it, actually, is because my memory's so bad, ah. I log things so I, I don't forget what I thought about them. That's a very good idea. Yeah, so... Um, Where do people find you and you, Beth, and indeed Little White Lies? You can just search our names and oh, they, come up. Yeah, simple, yeah, there's a, there's a really nice sort of search search people on there. So. Okay. Little White Lies is LW Lies. LW Lies. I think I'm on there too, but I, I don't think I've ever used it. Oh, it's a bit of fun. I will. It's a bit of fun. I'm going to. That's 2018 sorted for me as well. Excellent. We've got a live show coming up at Shoreditch House. We're going to be talking about Shape of Water. Yep. Talking about Oscar nominations. That, I think, got the the most nominations of everything, didn't it? I think it did. Yeah, 14, I think it was. Good for him. That's a lot of nominations. We'll also be talking about The Mercy, which is a very interesting film. Anyway, that's all coming up next week. But if you're in town and happen to be a member or know someone who is a member of, of... the house network then you can come and see us at Shoreditch House we're going to start off this session though and not a moment too soon with Phantom Thread Set in a fabulous 1950s London, Reynolds Woodcock is a renowned dressmaker whose fastidious life is disrupted by a young, strong-willed woman, Alma, who becomes his muse and lover here is Reynolds laying down the law to his new companion Cyril is right Cyril is always right. It's not because the fabric is adored by the clients that Cyril is right. It's right because it's right. Because it's beautiful. Maybe one day you'll change your taste, Alma. Maybe not. Maybe you have no taste. Maybe I like my own taste. Yes, just enough to get you into trouble. Perhaps I'm looking for trouble. Stop! 
So here it is then, Daniel Day-Lewis's last film, as he announced on June the 20th, 2017. This is how he is retiring from acting. And is it a fitting finale to his great career? I would say so. Just for the pure fact that I think it's a great movie. I think one of the great things about it is um, he sometimes in films, for better and for worse, I think, dominates. Like if he's in a film, it's the Daniel Day-Lewis show. Even in There Will Be Blood, which he did with PTA in 2007, I think it was, or 2008. Paul Thomas um, Anderson. Sorry, Paul Thomas Anderson. No, no, that's fine, yeah. And um, I think in this one, he sort of slinks a bit more into the material and there is, there is, it's, it's very much a kind of a two-way thing with a sort of three-way element to it. And yeah, it's this um, kind of totally bizarre, totally idiosyncratic and kind of utterly mesmerising gothic romance mm with a few little laughs thrown in along the way. Some big chuckles in the screen. Some, 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 some big chuckles. Anderson has actually said he was doing a, a kind of ask me anything online uh-huh. and someone asked him, when are you going to make another comedy? And his response was, well, I just made one. Right. <laughs> so uh, I think he was being a bit funny there. Do you think? Himself, but... See, I would say that he's taken a large dose of rom-com with this, mm-hmm. a handful of mother exclamation marks, a bit of My Fair Lady and a fair dash of Rebecca as well and, and thrown it into the, the mix for this one. What do you think, Beth? Uh, Rebecca was was in my notes, actually, but not in terms of um, a former lover, say. I think uh, we could all agree that the lover that is residing with Daniel Lewis at the beginning of the film is quite awful. Mm. But uh, I feel like the ghost of the house is the mother mm. and that's kind of what Vicky... Is it Vicky Kriep? Uh Alma is, is trying to kind of revive those feelings in him but instead of having them for the dead mother have them for her instead mm. so there's a, a really lovely complexity to that so yeah a lot of Daphne du Maurier kind of undertones there as well and it's a, it is a ghost story I think you know there are shadows in the corner of the house there's a moment where he has a dialogue with his his dead mother the way he leaves little gifts and little shadows of himself in his work and it's called Phantom Thread you know mm. clues in the name which I did read and many thanks to one reviewer who suggested that the ghostly title was inspired by condition among Victorian seamstresses who worked such long hours that afterwards they would see invisible threads before their eyes. Interesting use of the term invisible there, but intangible, I guess, sort mm. of phantom threads. I think like everything in this film, it's kind of, it's a strange, ambiguous title that doesn't quite give you an answer or lead you anywhere very specific, but in, in the best possible way. I mean, I think it's interesting, all that stuff, you were saying, Beth, about you know this ghostly element and Daphne du Maurier and you know this sort of transference between this woman who essentially ends up assuming the role of his mother and lover at the same time, potentially. It's a really open film. I mean, and you know, I, I sort of see it as a kind of you know, it's it's almost like a sort of sadomasochistic. I don't know the difference between masochism and sadomasochism. So I'm just going to say masochism, but like this this idea of a kind of power struggle between two people that Mm. kind of ends up just very naturally moving into the realm of violence. I mean, not physical violence, but it becomes quite violent Mm. tonally and... uh I don't want to say too much, I guess. So. Yeah, no, I think that's that's fair. You mentioned the triumvirate of performances at the heart of this movie, and it is quite special to find three absolutely towering bits of acting like this. Daniel Day-Lewis, who's just fantastic, mm. and I, I presume the part was written for him, because if not, it, it's incredible the way he, he inhabits it. Leslie Manville has his sister kind of via Mrs. Danvers, and Vicky, I don't know, Creeps? Should we say Creeps? Creeps? 
Vicky Kreps. Is it Vicky yeah. Kreps? Oh, right. As that kind of Euro-Angine who is at the other side of that emotional power struggle. No, absolutely. Um, three very densely written parts as well. I think Paul Thomas Anderson hasn't kind of thrown everything at Daniel Day-Lewis and let it all fall with him. It's, it's three very meticulously, fiercely written roles. Leslie Manville, especially for myself, struck a chord. Like, what a fiercely well-written character and she gets in. I mean, there have been comments about kind of incestuous undertones there, maybe, but I think it's wrong to kind of reduce that character to just this kind of jealous, glowering woman. She really takes him on. There's a, there's a great moment where they have just one showdown between her and Daniel Day-Lewis, and she says, oh, you shut up, I'll run through you and right through the other side, you know, I'll win. And you really believe her. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I, I didn't feel that it was incestuous. If anything, I felt her interest might lie in an entirely different direction. Well, that's, again, it's left completely open. Because, I mean, mm. you, you know, with Alma's character and Cyril's character, you, there is no backstory. There's no explanation. There's no reason for for their relationship to be the way it is. And, like, you can... I think Paul Thomas Anderson plants these tiny little seeds of ideas that you can kind of choose to run with. And you, maybe you don't choose to run with. But, like, you know, I totally think that there is a kind of potential incestuous element there and uh, their relationship has a kind of strange history. I mean, like Reynolds at the beginning says that their mother died and, you know, she essentially brought him up as as, as his sister. And, you know, you wonder, you, you just wonder about everything, really. Wow. And, and the same with Alma. She seems to come from nowhere as well. I mean, she has this very, very scant backstory about coming over as a refugee from Germany and her mother dying. And then everything else in the film is kind of present tense in the moment, just the stuff that is, the, the kind of emotions that are happening right then and right now. Mm. Sensorially, it's such a rich film, this. The clothes look fabulous, the the art direction's amazing. The score. The score is the extraordinary. Score is astonishing. And then it's also a mouth-watering film because of The Breakfasts. Oh, the gosh. amount of attention given to breakfast, is it's just fabulous to finally find that in a movie. I think there are too few movies that focus on the, on the British fry-up, really. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and especially the, uh, the kind of pictorial qualities thereof, you know, the colours of bacon, eggs and uh, Rolsch rabbit and, yeah. and mushrooms. All, all and together. All, all together on a yeah. plate. Although a lot of people have spent more time talking about Johnny Greenwood and his score. Oh, it just, it kind of engorges everything on the screen and it just breathes, not that it needs any more life in it really, but it does breathe just that extra bit of life into Mark Bridges' astounding costumes. I mean, you couldn't not have the best of the best when it comes to kind of high-end fashion, especially for this film, but Mark Bridges really brings these kind of stiff yet fluid costume pieces and it just brings with it an extra level of, of dramatic and just real visual flair. Mm. Am I the only person who was intensely reminded of Morrissey by Daniel Day-Lewis's 90s era? No, sorry, maybe 80s era Morrissey by Daniel Day-Lewis's performance? Possibly. Possibly. I mean, I can't imagine Morrissey not being northern and Reynolds has definitely not got a kind of northern accent. That's true. Definitely the swept back hair. I think the kind of towering air that he has, I'm right, you're wrong. Yeah. But also slightly fey, as well as being fastidious. Mm. Anyway, uh, we'll move on. Beth, give this some numbers. Four, to begin with, enjoyed all of his work, adored about half of it, and then five and five. 
nothing lacking from this film. I didn't think at one stage, I wish there was more of this. I wish I could see more of this. I mean, it is a film of excess, but to the film's advantage. And I can't wait to see it again. I All really right. can't. It probably just gets top marks from me because... 555? Five, five, five. Yeah, I mean... Have I, you ever given 555 five, five to a film before? Yeah, occasionally. Have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I loved Inherent Vice, his previous film. Right, which, I never which, saw that. Actually. Which I know was a bit more of a divisive one, and it's an even stranger film. Wonderful, but it just completely, like, someone let him just loose on on his own for that did, one. Did you so. see Inherent Vice? Though? I did. I, I am a big fan of his kind of more ensemble pieces. I'm more of a fan of, say, that and Magnolia, and Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights is my favourite. But to say The Master, which may get me in a little trouble, but... right. I, no, no, I, I agree with you on the master. In fact, um, but you finish off your bit first, David. Actually, talking about sorry to segue in onto your segue. I oh, am. Yeah. I mean, I think that this new film is very much a kind of companion piece of the master. I well, mean, that's what I. I think you maybe said that to me, which is why when we come onto my marks, yes. my anticipation was around the two because I really did not enjoy the master. Okay, but, but back to you. The first time I saw this film, you know, it was a weird situation. Like I was just very kind of tense while watching it, like wanting to make sure I got it and I was maybe concentrating too hard only after sort of thinking about it for a couple of days did it sort of start to click in my head and then seeing it a second time Mm. I was a lot more relaxed and that second time I think I appreciated Leslie Manville's performance much more and I think she might even be the kind of top trump in the film she barely has like five lines of dialogue but she's maybe like the richest character of of them all I think but um, yeah so Top, top marks top across marks. the board. Yeah, as I say, I wasn't looking forward to this. Didn't enjoy The Master. Generally speaking, I have time for Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, Boogie Nights would be my favourite. Until now, this now, though, gets top marks for at the time and very much after, probably higher than a five for after. I very much want to see it again. I had to get to dinner and I was late, but at no point did I want the film to end and I don't think there's any higher praise than that. Super. That is Phantom Threads, not to be confused with... Drop Dead, Dead Fred. Fred, which is an entirely different movie. Not that different. Is it not? <laughs> Rick Mail, woman, a woman and, you know, imaginary friends. I mean, Alma might be a ghost. And... I'd like to see Daniel Day-Lewis say Snot Face. Yeah. <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> yeah, yeah. OK, I'm going to move Dead on Fred then. Drop Dead Film Club. That, sh- that should have been the film club. <laughs> wow. it's, on, it's on Netflix. OK. Any Drop Dead Fred fans, right in. let us know. Yeah. Journey's End is up next on Truth and Movies. Set just before the spring offensive of 1918, this is the story of a group of British officers led by young Captain Stanhope as they await their fate. Here's the moment young Lieutenant Raleigh, played by Asa Butterfield, freshly arrived at the front, meets up with his new comrades. Raleigh, how do you do? You haven't been in the army five minutes, have you? No. Yes, no. I, I had eight weeks training at Salisbury Plain. And I was in the corps at school. Mason, what sort of a soup is this? Yellow soup, sir. Mmm. It's a very deep yellow flavour. Pepper bacon. Oh, sorry, sir. When the uh, mess box was packed, the pepper was omitted. Why wasn't it packed, Mason? Oh, come on, we need pepper. It was... Miss, sir. Do you want to go back upstairs in the trench? Turner! Sir? Run over to A Company and ask Captain Willis, with my compliments, if you can lend me a little pepper. Sir? Screw of pepper. That's what you asked for. More's bad enough with pepper. 
Hamilton. <laughs> Bleeding awful. Journey's End is back again, dusted off Beth for a new generation. Does it have anything fresh to say? Fresh faces, I would say, very much uh, in the form of young Asa Butterworth, who's a very kind of wet behind the ears, new to the squadron, kind of war fanboy, if you will. Like he's had the the hope and glory pumped into him and he's very excited to get into the trenches. And uh, obviously what he finds there is horror and disruption and loneliness and any manner of things to prove him wrong. Um, good cast. We've got Paul Bettany, Toby Jones, again, Asa Butterfield. Uh, and then we've got Sam Claflin, who... Um, oh, well pronounced. Thank you. Mm. And uh, he bears the weight of the film on his shoulders. And unfortunately for me, that's where the film absolutely fell apart. Right. It's relatively well written, I'd say. But he does have a very complex kind of... He's, he's supposed to be very booze-hardened, still quite young, but booze-hardened and... Um, bitter young officer but it's Sam Claflin who is sort of the human equivalent of like a cock spaniel just very affable and sweet and perhaps a good romantic lead but not a good dramatic lead by any shape or form. Right. David would you concur? Yeah I do it's kind of almost okay but there's something that's a little bit kind of middle brow coffee table, brick mm. film prestige, you know, like it's kind of exactly the film I expected it to be. Part of the problem is that Journey's End has actually been done so many times before and it's curious to see it redone now. Well, it's interesting because apparently the original plan was to have it out in 2017 for the centenary and I think production was kind of agreed in 2014 so they gave themselves a nice long run-up for it and originally Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Hiddleston and Eddie Redmayne were going to be the three leads mm. but all went off to other things and this is the film film we ended up with. And, right. uh, it definitely feels like... I feel awful because Sam Clevin just seems like such a nice person, but it feels like they settled for him. They really did. He's not taken on a, a role of this kind of depth before, and it really does, it really shows. Right. I would agree that his Captain Stanhope comes across as more sulky than anything perhaps more psychologically genuine for a man who's been stuck in the trenches through some of the worst things imaginable. But my issue actually with this film kind of goes, I think, back to the actual play itself. This is a play from the 1920s. The original production had Laurence Olivier in the cast, actually, 1928 in London. And it's a story very much of its time. It's very much presented with the same priorities, I think, playwrights and theatregoers had in, in the 1920s in the sense that it's entirely about the officer class. And the men who are having a far worse time of it, even than the officers, are these kind of four-log-tugging like uh, extras. Well, yeah. 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 So, whilst I'm, there are clearly interesting stories to tell among the officers, it seemed bizarre the way that the story focuses exclusively on them and has the others scurrying in and out of shot only when the the story demands. And essentially, as well, the leading characters are all. I mean, you mentioned the way that Raleigh is. Is, does what it says on the team. They are very much stock characters. The fresh-faced ingenue who's about to get a, a rude awakening in the realities of war. The avuncular older officer. The mentally disintegrating alcoholic captain. There we go. Journey's end. It's what a, would you say good about it then, David? Um, I mean, it's. I think that you know you get an essence of an idea of why the play has endured because I think it does deal with very kind of big themes in caps with regard to you know the the futility of warfare and the absurdity of actually physical combat and this idea of waiting for death and and have you know the horror of soldiers having to wait out their own 
potential demise in this kind of mud-caked hellhole uh, in the trenches. Um, it reminds me of Blackadder Goes Forth a bit too much. Just thinking about that. <laughs> um, which I guess is itself a kind of parody of Journey's End. And um, I'd much rather have been watching Blackadder Goes Forth. <laughs> right, okay. I, and I think, one, I think one of the issues as well, actually, I mean, again, linking it back to the play, is there is this sense that director Saul Dibb has kind of taken this material and thought, well, how can we make it more filmy? Mm. What can we do to sort of get it away from people talking in this sort of dingy dang room, which is essentially what the play would have been. Mm. And you do have these occasional sorties into no man's land where they're kind of nabbing German soldiers and and they have to eventually go over the top. And Sam Claflin has all these elaborate dream sequences as well, which are, which are kind of verge on weird horror interludes, I think. It looks great. It's uh, cinematographer is Laurie Rose, who's Ben Wheatley's director of photography. Okay. So I do like there are some, the few sequences where they do venture out of the trenches do look really stunning. I was reminded a few times of uh, Slow West, this kind of very big sweeping vistas, ah. very well graded. So that definitely brought a cinematic element to this kind of enclosed character study. It sometimes felt that that cinematic element was like imposed rather yeah. than like yeah, yeah. a natural extension of, of what they were trying to do, really. That but, said, what, what happened to the men and boys in The Great War, in inverted commas, is such a moving story that you cannot fail to be in some way affected by even a film as, as perhaps as standard as this one. So it's not necessarily a, a terrible film, it's just nothing particularly novel, it doesn't have anything new to say, really. No, it feels more like a kind of like filler film. Like It's like we made this because it was the right time to make it and we had to make it, rather than oh, this would really resonate. There's no apparent thinking of how can we use this material and say right. something new or do something new. I mean, it's from different times, but I don't think Dunkirk has particularly helped this in that it really, that gets into the own issue of war in a very effective way. I mean, I know it's obviously a huge spectacle as well, but I felt like you almost got a better sense of kind of war and the soldiers suffering from that than, than from this. It's and true. In, so in Dunkirk, you don't have the soldiers constantly telling you how much they're suffering yeah. it's implicit and I think that's I guess better cinema for me uh, very possibly don't know if Sam Claffin's going to be following you on Twitter uh, Beth. I'll make my peace with that I think as long as Brooklyn's still there okay. I'm fine I, I, like, right. I liked him in Their Finest right which was a, a film that I really enjoyed until the bizarre Deus Ex Machina <laughs> plot twist at the end I quite like that did you like that? Yeah, yeah, I like that. Maybe, non- maybe we should have a, a conversation off okay. mic about it. Right. Have you so, seen I Beth haven't, Arnest? no, otherwise I'd be chiming in for sure. Okay, yeah. right. Did you like this, David? Well, obviously we kind of know, but what numbers? <laughs> I had sort of mediocre expectations and then mediocre time watching it and, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be rushing back. So maybe mm. a 3-3-2, three, 3-3-3. Three, two, three, 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 okay, maybe. yeah, Beth? Three two two. I did quite like the premise, kind of this this strange limbo that they were in, and how that would develop the characters. But it's a character ensemble that doesn't really indulge in its characters. Mm. So, and then the Claflin factor. I'm sorry, but that was another two for me. I feel bad for Sam. I'm not sure if it's entirely his fault or the way that, as you say, the, the script does a little bit too much. I am feeling this, so I, I don't know if that led him to a bit of a kind of dramatic cul-de-sac, and maybe the direction as well. But yes, yeah, certainly his character doesn't in any way bring the emotional charge it's supposed to. I I kind of agree with you on Sam Claflin, but at the same time, I'm not sure that anyone else steps up to the plate in this film. I don't think it's like Asa Butterfield is giving like the powerhouse performance. And, Sam, like, and <laughs> really sa- sa- same goes with um, Paul Bettany as well. Pipe smoking uncle. I know. I mean, mm. Paul Bettany is possibly the subject of another discussion because I think he's he seems so great at one point, but then just 
What was your high point for him? Was it? Would it be uh, gangster number one? <laughs> so long time ago. A Knight's Tale. They loved him in A Knight's Tale. Oh, yeah, right. Back what a great film that was. Oh. Amazing that looking back, some critics didn't like it at the time. Oh, it was flipping good fun, I yeah. thought. A Knight's Tale is very good. Yeah. We have love for A Knight's Tale. Not so much for Journey's End. We'll move on. Next up on your bumper edition of Truth and Movies, it's Makala. Okay. Who hasn't done their prep, Beth? I mean, it was very. <laughs> it was a very last-minute change around. I think I've was done. It? I think I've done the best I can. Okay, all right. So basically, Beth hasn't seen Macala, but David and I have. And can I say, God bless Truth and Movies, because this is exactly the kind of film that I would never have seen in a million years had it not been for my kind of obligation to do so. Uh, for you listeners, uh, this is a film basically focusing on the trials and tribulations of a a young man, Kabwita Kasongo. As he takes his cargo, as he makes, basically, a batch of charcoal and then loads it onto a bicycle and walks it to a town, to a market. And that's your movie. Spoiler alert, but that's the movie. Uh, <laughs> along the way, what do we get, David? It's a documentary, you yes. should add, as well. So it's yeah. a, it's a, this is like the real trials and tribulations of a guy working on his own for the, the entire kind of production process and, and sales. Right, and that, that's a very important mm. point to make, which, of course renders everything that much more affecting, I guess, the fact that it is genuinely happening. Although I was continually asking myself, does nobody actually step in? He's now in a predicament and he actually has a film crew, which you forget at various stages on this epic journey he makes, sort of three-day journey that he makes to market. At no point do they step in. Do you think that they helped him, the director and whatever production crew I've actually interviewed the director, Ah. so I can tell you for a fact that they did step in. Right. There were occasions where... He'd agreed to be filmed, yep. and they had sort of talked about how the fact that they want to capture this process and their kind of being involved in it would perhaps undermine the film that they were trying to make and the, mm. the sort of story they were trying to tell, which he he agreed to. But apparently there were times where things were going bad and or he was he was super tired and they would step in and help. And Right. Um, uh, there's a couple of moments in the film where you can't imagine that they wouldn't exactly, have felt. Exactly, exactly. Um, I think that part of the interest of a film like this that is so kind of simple and pure in its idea, like it's just one guy doing a thing and we're following a simple process along the way, it throws up all these really interesting questions about the relationship between the filmmaker, how do you not intrude on this person's life mm. or, and how does you know how does the film affect what the person is doing? Is there a performance involved? Apparently he, the, um, the filmmaker is still in touch with, with the guy and who is now doing a giant version of this with like 100 people so he's making like really he's making like a huge oven with a ton of charcoal in it and it's got like 100 people to all go with him to the town at the same time so he's he's supersized his operation wow bad news for trees but great news for for for, uh, Kabwita Kosongo himself the director is Emmanuel Grass French director who was nominated for the César for Best Documentary in 2013, David, as you undoubtedly know, especially since you've spoken to him, for his film Bouvin, which must be about cows. I didn't know that, but because the César nominations for 2018 were mm. made this morning, I wonder Ooh. if he's, he's he's in the mix with that. I, I suspect he would be. Because right. one of the reasons I saw it, actually, was it was in Cannes in one of the kind of smaller sidebars, the Critics' Fortnight, or the Critics' Week, sorry, and um, it won the prize there, and I was like, well, I'm just going to go and see the, the prize winner of the Critics' Fortnight right. and, and saw it on the last day. And Okay. I'm not going to say my mind didn't wander at one or two points of this film, because it's it, it's not action-packed in that sense, but it is very unusual, and it does feel, whatever the 
influence of having a camera pointed at the events may have had on these events, it does feel like a real window into an entirely different way of life to certainly the one that you know, I've been living. It's also a really beautiful film. I mean, I'm not quite sure what kind of rig that Mr. Grass had when he was making this. I imagine quite a, a simple one as they kind of trek through along these dusty Congo roads, but there's some just beautiful shots along the way to market. And I'm heartened by what you tell me now. I would love to have known more from this film about what happens next to Kasongo. About we kind of get to market. I'm not sure that the last ten minutes of the film, which Grass makes an interesting editorial decision with, really give me any anything like the resolution I would have had after getting emotionally involved with the character. I think the film doubles as a kind of critique of, of capitalism okay. as well. I mean, that's what I got from it because it is about this guy assuming the means of production, creating charcoal, and then trying and selling it himself. And what we see is how the immense amount of effort that he's put into actually getting to this point, and is then completely undersold by all the people who you know who, who are selling it. You know, loads of people join up at this town all with their bikes packed with charcoal, mm. all selling against each other. So. They're all undercutting each other and they're all losing money. So. Right. Well, sometime in the future when everyone's had a chance to watch this film, you can explain to me how he's now become the head of this this mega charcoal corporation. Apparently another sort of little heartening nugget that the director told me was that in return for the participation in the film, the director helped him build his house. Oh. So it was a kind of like tit for tat thing. Quid pro quo. Yeah. That's very nice. That's very nice. Charming. Excellent. All right, well, that is Mykala. Are you going to go and see it, Beth, do you think? Well, now we will, yes. Okay, <laughs> good. Uh, numbers? Uh... Yeah, I'd say, I would say um, I really liked it. I think it's probably like threes across the board, mm-hmm. but very positive threes from me. Okay. Um, like high-end threes. High-end threes. Yes. That seems fair. I mean, I think I'd certainly give it, a, maybe my end would be a particularly a high-end three, because looking back on it, I think, yeah, it was a very interesting film to have seen. Mm. But you, you certainly don't need to have a lot on, otherwise you, you might find yourself a bit fidgety. Is that fair? Yeah, try and see it in the cinema, maybe. Yes, that's a good idea. And uh, there you go, that's Makala. We're not done, though, listeners, with you. Up next, it's our Little White Lies Film Club, which this week is Funny Face. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. An impromptu fashion shoot at a bookstore brings about a new fashion model discovery in The Shop Clerk. Played by Audrey Hepburn. May I help you? Thank you very much. I think we have everything we need. Would you please tell me what all this is about? We'll only be a minute. We're just going to take a few pictures. Pictures? What sort of pictures? Are you the owner? No, Dr. Post is the owner. I work here and I'm in charge in her absence. I, I'm Joe Stockton. Can, can you help me? How do you do? I'm Dick Avery. What about these pictures? Well, we're using the shop as a background for some fashion pictures for Quality Magazine. I'm sorry, but I can't let you do this. Dr. Post would never approve. She doesn't approve of fashion magazines. It's shishi and an unrealistic approach to self-impressions as well as economics. We're going to have trouble. She's a thinker. She's also a talker. Now, David, this film was chosen as a kind of companion piece to Phantom Thread. Is that right? Yes. Okay, good. I mean, if you read reviews of that Phantom Thread, and again, I think this is maybe indicative of its of its richness, People are throwing films at it, like you know, it's it's a film where you say, oh, well, it's inspired by this and it's inspired by that, and I think you know one of the ones that we thought of when we were thinking about it was this film, Funny Face, right. Stanley Donen musical. Tonally, it's very different because it's all kind of happy joy, dancing around the streets of Paris, sing songs and and whatnot, and Audrey Hepburn trying to sing. I, oh. I wasn't so sold on really? her singing. It was her first, her first big, yeah. big musical. So I mean, I'll give her a bit of a break because uh, it's uh, a, yeah. it's a very complex musical to jump into feet first. I think it, it, after it, this, she did My Fair Lady, and of course they dumped her in that. Yes. Do you know who they dubbed her with? No. I believe it was Julie Andrews. Really? Wow. Yeah. I mean, if you're having someone. Dub over the top of you. It's Julie Andrews. I'd like to be dubbed by Julie Andrews. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great shout, actually. Um, It has got some great moments in it. And and she's certainly, I think she's a great dancer. There's a a scene in a club where she's doing this kind of sort of weird Bob Fosse dance, which is great. No, I agree. The the kind of smoky basement club where she does a very sort of sporadic, it's not like a, a beautifully fluid straightforward choreography it's you know it's jaunty and angular and she has to be kind of spontaneous and fall onto people and you know considering this was the first time she's kind of ventured into that field I think she gave it a good shot yeah no, and, and, and one of the things you notice about these films and and, and it's a sort of trademark of Stanley Donan who obviously did um, Sing in the Rain mm. it's just these amazing long takes you know how you see a movie now and it's got like a long take and it's like it's all about the director being like, I'm an amazing director, I'm going to do a long take. But these long takes are all about how can we show the amazing things that these people are doing in front of the camera? How can we kind of capture those 
and just show in the most pure way possible how what, what brilliant things that the human body can achieve. So completely um, agree. There's a bit where there there's a sort of dance sequence between Esther and Hepburn, and they sort of hop onto a raft, and the raft crosses a river, and then they hop off the raft and continue the piece. It's astounding. You wouldn't see that now. You're completely right. Back to the reason why we chose it for Phantom Thread. There is a kind of strange kind of concurrent theme of like male female domination um fred astaire plays this uh, photographer fashion photographer and uh, audrey hepburn is a kind of intellectual who's into like french philosophy and he's kind of trying to sort of get her to forget about being an intellectual and embrace the f- the world of like frilly fashion and hotels and parties and gatherings and whatnots and uh it's kind of a shame that she sort of gives in in the end. <laughs> <laughs> you do want her to dig her heels in and, you know, he's sort of like, look what I could turn you into. Look what I can, with my magic touch, what you could become. And, uh, yeah, as you say, she kind of panders to it and that's quite disappointing. Mm, Astro is getting in touch on, on the Little White Lies website, Podcast Corner. So I really enjoyed the stylish design, cinematography and costumes, some great moments of witty dialogue, especially from the somewhat brash Kate Thompson. Astrowiz says, though, a problem for me was the romance part because of the age gap between Hepburn and Astaire. He was still a hell of a dancer, as showcased by his cape and umbrella dance number, but he seemed to have got the part because he'd played it on Broadway many years before. The sidesteps into a satire of French French philosophy slowed the movie down a bit as well, but maybe it was a hot topic at the time. I mean, yeah, the the age gap is weird. Astaire was 53, uh, Hepburn 23, and then you had Kay Thompson, who's the editor, who's, you know, I think supposed to be older than them both, who's actually 51. So, I mean, Fred Astaire looks like he's 53 and he's kind of like... (laughs) It wouldn't pass that. You can have a 53-year-old Ryan Gosling versus a (laughs) 23-year-old Emma Stone today and have people just sit back and be like, oh, isn't that magical? Right. Kate Thompson's definitely worth a, a mention. It's interesting to see in the world of fashion design that you've got these very prominent male figures I know that like Dior and Balenciaga were used as reference points for Daniel Day-Lewis and Phantom Threads but in the world of fashion publications you've got Kay Thompson's based on Deanna Vreeland who was uh, editor-in-chief of Vogue you've obviously got Anna Winter uh, Tina Brown who founded Vanity Fair you've got these it's refreshing in 1957 to see a woman in a position of utmost power kind of calling the shots and she's the one that holds on to kind of the moral thread throughout it as well she's the one that's able to show empathy and, you know, guide them along the right path. So uh, she's definitely worth a mention. All right. That is this week's Film Club then. Funny face. What have we got next week on Film Club, David? Well, to link in with uh-huh. the fact that we're going to be talking about The Shape of Water, All right. a new film by Guillermo del Toro, we've decided to sort of take a look back at one of his maybe not lesser loved classics, but certainly one that maybe isn't talked about as being in his kind of high directorial oeuvre. That is the film Blade 2. Right, that you catch me by surprise with that one, I must say. I love this film. Blade 2. <laughs> it's really good. I mean, it might be... Do you the, like Blade 1? I wasn't a massive fan of Blade 1, actually, but the Blade 2 is brilliant. Um, yeah, Razor um, that's always two blades yeah. better than, <laughs> than Exactly, one. exactly. Blade, keep the blood pack. Lighthammer. Verlaine. Priest. Snowman, Chupa, and Reinhardt. Hey, um, uh, me and the uh, gang were wondering. What was that? 
Can you blush? Here we go, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it. I see now. You've been training for two years to take me out. And now here I am. I believe it's on Netflix, so available to all. Who have Netflix. Who have Netflix. But, um, you know, Shape of Water is him, you know, living out his dream projects. And Blade 2 is him working for the man. And it's very interesting to see two sides of that that coin. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So Shape of Water is coming up next week, as is The Mercy, which stars Colin Firth as a man in a boat of his own design uh, up against the ocean. And, aren't we and, all and, yeah. in a way but I think that's one of the things about that film that caught me by surprise as we'll be discussing next week is how much it is in every man's story mm. interesting also Loveless what's that one? that is Oscar nominated uh, best foreign film Russian very bleak oh <laughs> alright okay just so you know do get watching anyway Blade 2 and send us your thoughts at truthandmovies at tcolondon.com Twitter at LWLies or on our website or the Little White Lies website or on, on Facebook. Beth, have you got anything interesting coming up in movie terms? In movie terms, yep. Um, I'm part of a feminist film collective and we are hosting a screening of Moonstruck. Oh, wow. Starring Sharon Nicholas Cage. That is 25th of February at Genesis Cinema. Right. Uh, do you know, I've never seen Moonstruck. Was there anything that recommends it as a, as a particularly suitable feminist film? Or, or? Um, Cher in all her wonderful big head glory. Also Nicolas Cage with a wooden hand and a chip on his shoulder. Right, nice, nice. That, if, I mean, it doesn't get more feminist than that. <laughs> <laughs> David, apart from heading along to that, what else have you got to, that you're excited about? Oh. The new Clint movie? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to see the new Clint movie next week. I was a big fan of Sully, the previous one, yeah. which I know was not, not everyone's cup of tea, but I, okay. I, I was a big fan of that. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with this uh, film about American soldiers. No, no. They're just ordinary citizens. Oh, oh, apologies. This was the incident where there was an attempted terrorist incident on a, a Eurostar to Paris or at least a French train heading to Paris from from the south and a group of American tourists basically took to action. Them. Let's roll, they said to echo another such incident. And, uh, I, you know, I won't give you any further details but yeah that's what Clint's gone with on this wow okay so I've, I've got my uh, my intel all mixed up there <laughs> yeah. uh, right excellent <laughs> good alright well we'll hear more about all that kind of thing next week uh, for the moment this has been a seven digital production Shh.